The biggest international festival for the business of podcasting is back. The Podcast Show London will bring together thousands of podcast creators under one roof on the 22nd and 23rd of May. Also featuring major industry players, global brands and some of the most iconic voices in podcasting. Plus creator meetups, networking and an evening festival of unmissable live shows. Passes from £89. Book yours now at thepodcastshowlondon.com. Another episode of Lords of Limited with your hosts Ben Warney and Ethan Sachs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, fresh off of trouncing me in our second Lords of Limited streamer showdown, is Ethan Sachs. Yeah, I'm amazed that you think you still get to do the intro for the podcast after you've gone O2 against me. I know it. It's it's shameful is what it is. Pure shameful. So for listeners who don't know, we have now done our, our second like mini Lords of Limited streamer showdown where Ben and I uh, stream at the same time, hop into a draft queue together and then face our decks off in a, a friendly queue. Um, and I have the good fortune of being able to have maximum bragging rights at the moment of being 2-0 against him. I know it's it's gonna be insufferable. I'm not even gonna be able to trash talk for the next one. I'm just gonna have to like show up with my tail between my legs and try my hardest. <laughs> but they're they're super fun, and both matches have been two one. I think both times they uh, could have gone either way, really. Yeah, I think my deck this time had some serious game against yours. Hadana's climb out of you was pretty brutal, though. Yeah, I mean I won games one and three off of Hadana's climb. So, pro tip, boys and girls, don't don't pass that card. Just jam it in your deck and win. Yep. So aside from that trouncing, how have the uh, Rivals of Ixalan Streets been treating you this week? They've been great. Been drafting up a storm and streaming up a storm. I now have 73 drafts under my belt, 21 trophies overall, 139-67 record for a 67% win rate. Ooh, baby, 67%. Nicely done. Yeah, across that 66% threshold. How about you? Uh, I have 110 drafts under my belt with 29 trophies, uh, 200 to 109 win-loss record for a 65% win rate. Would have been 66. I just like went on a, a dip. If we recorded like two days ago, I went like uh, like four one-twos in a row. Ugh. Yeah, terrible, terrible. But uh, but still p- pretty happy. And now I'm uh, on the front page of the leaderboard, so not mad about Hype. that at all. Yeah. You're going to join me there. You're going to get there. It's going to be, we're going to have that nice screenshot. I'm trying, man. Like, I'm five or six trophies away. That's a lot of drafts. Yeah. <laughs> and these other people are still playing. We'll see. <laughs> trying my darndest to get there. Yeah. Um. So we've got a really in-depth, fun show for you guys coming up. But before we get into that, we want to shout out our new patrons. And we have a lot of them. That's right. We have a Patreon page, 
patreon.com slash lords of limited where you as a listener can give back to the show if you so choose uh, and we try and give you some incentives to do so and one of them the base level is the discord chat a place where you can get feedback on your draft on your decks from not only me and ben but from other degenerate drafters like yourselves this this listener base that we have is a really really strong pool of limited players and it's great to be able to draw on everyone's experiences and expertise so that's what you get for the one dollar level you get access to our show notes for the three dollar level get access to a sweet pre-show recording some behind the scenes about us setting up the podcast for the five dollar level no amount is too small or too large for our show We really appreciate all donations that we get through you guys, and we want to shout out the new people who joined us this week. So, welcome to The Fold, Dave, Chris, Bradford, Alex, Parker, Veal, Jason, Melvin, Matt, Jamie, Johan, and Thomas. Can't believe we had all these new people from just this week. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. We really appreciate your support. That is unreal. I opened up, Ethan had done, worked on our show notes before I had, and I opened up the show notes and I saw all those names and I texted him and I was like, holy cow, this is amazing. Yeah. This is awesome. It's un- unbelievable. So we're really just like blown away by, by your support. Thank you. All right. So then, without further ado, shall we get to the roundtable? Let's do it. All right, so these picks may look familiar to you because this is from our Lords of Limited Showdown draft, and Ben was actually directly to my right. So he was passing to me, and these are the picks that I was faced with. So I'd be interested to see. You sort of uh, pegged a lot of what I was going to do, but I think that's also because you know my my weakness for for a certain (laughs) card that we'll get to in a minute. (laughs) Okay, so pack one, pick one. Uh, you look at the following cards in consideration. There is a Sailor of Means, two and a blue for the 1-4 Human Pirate. When it enters the battlefield, you make a treasure. A Martyr of Dusk, one and a white for the 2-1 Vamp Soldier. Uh, when it dies, you make a 1-1 Soldier with Lifelink. Uh, Swift Warden, one green-green for the 3-3 Merfolk Warrior with Flash. When it enters the battlefield, target Merfolk you control gains Hexproof until end of turn. And Polyraptor, if you want to unlock an achievement, six green-green for the 5-5 Dinosaur with Rage, when it's dealt damage, you create a token that's a copy of Polyraptor. Yeah, I think there's several things to consider here. I think I would immediately rule out Martyr of Dusk. This is way too early to take that card, uh, in my opinion. It's fine in a Vampire's deck, and it's a fine defensive two-drop, but I'm trying to pick up my defensive two-drops a little later than pack one, pick one. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to wheel them or things like that, and I really only want like maybe three to four two-drops uh, in most of my decks that are playing for the late game. I want the bare minimum to shore up my aggro matchup, and that's about it. That is something I keep having to discuss with Twitch chat as like my current becomes like many 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 three drops and they're like we need twos we need twos pick up hardy veteran and it's like i don't i don't think we need to prioritize those things as highly as you think we do yeah i i agree i also discussed that i think people still have the mentality of they you want your curve to look good i don't think this is a format where your curve looks good <laughs> no. for the winning decks no Dong curve for life. Yes, I agree completely. <laughs> um, so ruling out that Martyr of Dusk, similarly for Swift Warden, the 1GG for the 3-3 Flash Merfolk, that looks like a powerful card at first glance, but I don't think 3-3s that attack on the ground are really where you want to be in the format. And yes, maybe if you get lucky in Magical Christmas Land, you might be able to pick off a 2-2 that your opponent's attacking into it, but that 2-2 is probably going to be largely irrelevant anyway. Uh, as the game progresses on. So I mostly look at that outside of Merfolk as just a a three-mana 3-3 that's hard to cast. And in Merfolk, it's fine, but not great. I mean, you'd rather have Jungleborn Pioneer, I think, in your Merfolk deck. Yeah, I never get the blowouts that I want with this card. Like, I I keep thinking that it's so good, and I, like, try and, I, like, pick it highly or, like, think it's a green signal, and it just isn't. You just don't need, need it. 
Yeah, I just don't think it's great. So that leaves Polyraptor versus Sailor of Means. Polyraptor is much sweeter than Sailor of Means, but it doesn't... How dare you? <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> I think that's a fair statement. Yeah, that's fair. It is, it is much sweeter, yeah. But I don't think it goes in every deck, and it's pretty inflexible, whereas Sailor of Means is like the definition of flexible and versatile. And so I think that's where I would settle uh, on my first pick with Sailor of Means. Yeah. Anyone who has listened to any segment of this podcast or my stream knows that I'm taking Sailor of Means here. Um, all right, moving on to pack one, pick two, cards in contention, Exultant Sky Marcher, one white, white, two, three, Vampire Soldier with Flying, uh, Crashing Tide, two and a blue for the Sorcery, Bounce Spell, has Flash, as long as you control a Merfolk and you draw a card, uh, Reaver Ambush, two and a black for the instant, Exile Target Creature with Power 3 or less, Deadeye Brawler, two blue, black for the two, four, Human Pirate with Death Touch, and if you have the City's Blessing, when it deals combat damage to a player, you draw a card. And Arch of Arazka, that's the land that taps for a generic mana. Uh, but if you have the City's Blessing, you can pay five and tap it to draw a card. Yeah, so there's some interesting choices here. I think Crashing Tide, you know, despite matching up with your first pick of Sailor of Means, is far and away weaker than all these other cards. So I would immediately yeah. I would immediately rule that out. Exultant Sky Marcher is good, but pretty color committing. And I think probably not as powerful as Deadeye Brawler or Reaver Ambush. So I think you could knock mm -hmm. Sky Marcher out. If you're taking a card of a different color, I think Reaver Ambush is better than Sky Marcher. Can I ask you a question about Sky Marcher? Yeah, sure. If you're in white, do you want Sky Marcher or Suncrested Pterodon? Uh, I want Suncrested Pterodon. And I also want Legion Conquistador over Sky Marcher at this point. Wow. Yeah. The first statement doesn't surprise me. The second one kind of does. But the more I think about it, like the three drop slot is so contested in vamps and Suncrested Pterodon just does so much more work than Sky Marcher can ever hope to do. Yep, it really does. And I think the upside on Legion Conquistadors, if you get there, is huge. I'm on the Dustin Stern train, and I'm picking them pretty aggressively. Sweet. He said early in, in pack one, he's picking them as the best white common. Whoa. Over Luminous Bonds? Over Luminous Bonds. That's what he typed into Twitch chat. Wow. I, th I think he's just trying to stir some stuff up. That's what I think. <laughs> so Arch Varaska, I, I know you like that card. I, I don't find room for that card in my decks very often, so I'm not really considering that much here. So I'm trying to narrow it down to Deadeye Brawler and Reaver Ambush. Both of those put me into a second color. Deadeye Brawler is probably more powerful than Reaver Ambush. Um, and is definitely juicy. Mouth waters a little bit when you see that there. But I think Reaver Ambush is the discipline pick. It leaves you a lot of flexibility going down the road in case blue or black isn't open. Yeah, I had a very similar decision I had to make. I forget, I texted you about it. But it was basically like I took a card that was either blue or black first and then had the option between Deadeye Brawler and Luminous Bond second. And I took Brawler because I was like, I think Brawler is like an intrinsically more powerful card than Luminous Bonds. But taking Bonds there just leaves you way more flexible. And I think that's the same argument here for Reaver Ambush. Like, yeah, we're taking, we have like a blue card into a black card. So why not just take the blue black card? But if we get pushed off of blue, then we're going to be so happy to have Reaver Ambush. Yep. So that that is what I, I course corrected here, learning from my mistakes earlier. And I took Reaver Ambush. So we're two for two. Pack one, pick three, cards in contention. A pretty weak pack. Uh, you see a Divine Verdict, three and a white. Uh, for the instant, destroy target attacking or blocking creature. Deadeye Rig Hauler, three and a blue for the 3-2 Human Pirate with Raid Bounce a Creature. Uh, Silvergill Adept, one and a blue for the 2-1 Merfolk Wizard. As an additional cost to cast it, either reveal a Merfolk from your hand or pay three, and when it enters the battlefield, you draw a card. Yeah, between those three cards, I'm not in love with anything in this pack. This pack's pretty not great. There's also a Traveler's Amulet that catches my eye a little bit. If it mm. were an Evolving Wilds, I'd snap it up. Right. So Traveler's Amulet's the one-mana artifact that lets you pay one and sack it and search up a basic land. 
I don't know what I would be on here. I guess Dead Eye Rig Hauler is like the least offensive card out of those three. Mm-hmm. I might. No, actually, that's not true. I think I would be on Divine Verdict here. I think I'm much more interested in playing a deck where Sailor of Means is good than where Dead Eye Rig Hauler is good. And I don't think Sailor of Means and Dead Eye Rig Hauler are very good friends. Like, I don't think Dead Eye Rig Hauler really wants to go into a deck that has Sailor of Means. So I think I'd be on Divine Verdict here and keeping my options open uh, as to what I could do. Yeah, so someone who uh, recently started hanging out on my Twitch chat a lot, their name is Pack One Pick One. I think you've seen them in, in your channel as well. Uh-huh. Seems to be very knowledgeable about Limited and seems to, to, to uh, have a good win rate as well. Is a lot higher on Rig Hauler than I am. And I think I have been on a sort of roller coaster with this card of like, I was super high on it in our set review. And then it just like kept going down and down as I started dirtling and like loving Spirewinder a lot more and feeling like the four drop slot is super contested in this format. And I think I just went like way too low on it and I need to sort of backtrack a little bit because it is pretty good and people are still like playing Squires Devotions and stuff. And so you can get them. People are playing Luminous Bonds and Water Knot and you can rebuy your own stuff with it. Like it's just pretty relevant. Yes, it's kind of miserable if you can't get the raid trigger and you're just paying a four mana three, two. But I think that idea about like Sailor of Means and Dead Eye Recaller don't play well together is something that I'm trying to like backtrack on a little bit because I think it's not as true as I, I once thought it was. That's interesting. That's a fair point. Yeah. So I also wanted to talk about Silvergill Adept here as like, when do you get into Merfolk in this format? Like, is it just through Merfolk Mistbinder? Is Adept like kind of a signal? And here, do we maybe want to hedge on it? Like, is there any consideration for that for you? It's so tough like it's i don't end up in merfolk often mostly because i don't particularly enjoy playing the deck and i have bad feelings towards it when it trounces me in the finals a lot (laughs) (laughs) yeah but i just think it's so tough like if yes silvergill adept like if merfolk is open silvergill adept will be good in your deck like very good not great it'll be rock solid that's the thing like it's not even outstanding right it's basically dusk legion zealot yes yeah and then if it's if Merfolk's not exactly open, you're giving up on Reaver Ambush, which is a great card. Mm-hmm. And you're like saying, well, I'm, I'm kind of going to pray that Merfolk is open and that there's not another Merfolk drafter because I don't think a table can really support two Merfolk drafters. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And you're hoping that River Herald's boons get opened in pack three. Like a lot of the a lot of the best Merfolk decks rely on payoffs getting open in pack three and making them way around to you. Like and other people are presumably going to be interested in one with the wind. I don't know. It's a tough sell. I think also part of my consideration here was you were directly to my right. And I know that you end up in white a lot. And so I think leaning against Divine Verdict here uh, may have been why I, I landed on the rig hauler. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. You know, because you are so high on Squire's Devotion, I think you end up in white a lot more than the average drafter. That's fair. I think white's also great. I agree with you. White is a fantastic color in this format. It's very deep. All right, moving on to pack one, pick four. I think this is a, a much more interesting pick here. Uh, cards in consideration. We have another Sailor of Means, and then like a whole glut of green cards. Jungleborn Pioneer, two and a green for a 2-2 Merfolk Scout that when it enters the battlefield makes a 1-1 Merfolk with Hexproof. Guilt Grove Stalker, one and a green for the 2-1 Merfolk Warrior. Uh, when it attacks, it can't be blocked by creatures with power two or less. Thrashing Brontodon, one green green for the 3-4 Dino that can you can pay one to sacrifice it to... Destroy target artifact or enchantment. And the Ben Warney new favorite card, Recover, two and a black for the sorcery return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand and draw a card. Yeah, I was really worried about passing this pack to you because I actually took a green card out of this pack. There was also a Crested Herd Caller in this pack that I took uh, pack one, pick three, like the pick before this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was pretty worried about us getting our wires crossed here and you taking Thrashing Brontodon or Jungleborn Pioneer. 
So this is a fairly tough pick for you. You've already got two blue cards in the Sailor and the Deadeye Rig Hauler and then a black card in Reaver Ambush. Mm-hmm. This is a pretty big green signal in my opinion, and there's not a great black card here. I would be really tempted by Thrashing Brontodon, I think. I like blue-green non-merfolk a fair amount, probably more than the average person. Uh, and I think Thrashing Brontodon on raw power level is great. And then seeing Jungleborn Pioneer still in the pack as well, I think I would take this as a green signal, and I think I would take Thrashing Brontodon here. Yeah, it was really tough for me. I just settled on, like, not doing my normal bob and weave thing, and I grabbed the other Sailor here. Like, it felt, like, good to have two Sailors in four picks because that card like allows you to be so flexible with the rest of the draft. It basically guarantees that I get to play Reaver Ambush if I'm in blue, and I don't have to be black at all. So uh, I did take the Sailor, but definitely noticing that like I'm passing up on a, a green signal if that's that what I'm being sent here. Like It may be too late because I'm now passing two other good green cards that like the people to my left are going to move into green as well, it feels like. I like your pick. I think it's the discipline pick. I just don't think I'd have done it there. I think I'd have been greedy and taken the thrashing bronze on. But you're right. Sailor leaves you extraordinarily flexible. Yeah. The rest of the draft like was not super interesting. You know, we took like a, a crashing tide and then a, a resplendent griffin. And then we got another sailor pick seven. And then it was super interesting that pack one, pick nine out of our original pack, Colossal Dreadmaw Wield, which I think was one of the best cards in the pack. We didn't name it in the opener because uh, Polyraptor was there and Swift Warden as well. Um, but I was like, oh, I wonder if green is open. But I'm glad I didn't take the flyer on uh, the Dreadmaw there because you were actually in green. Yeah, I took the Polyraptor the pick before, and I actually was wrong for my deck. I think my deck would have ended up much better had I taken the Colossal Dreadmaw. Because as it turned out, I saw no more Dreadmaws over the rest of the draft, and I ended up in green-white dinosaurs. Yeah, that was super fun. Uh, it's really, really interesting to see you basically call all of the things I'm going to take out of the pack as you pass them in that video. Yeah, and if people are interested in watching the whole thing uh, from both angles, uh, we'll have uh, highlights of that on our Twitch page uh, for you to check out. Sweet. All right, so what do we got in store for the show today, Ben? We've got a What's the Play episode. (laughs) So we're going to take a look at some board states here. Ethan and I have each highlighted some scenarios where uh, when we were streaming or playing games that we went deep in the tank uh, and had to figure out what the optimal play was. So we're going to analyze those in depth and hopefully teach you a thing or two about our thought process so that you can help improve your thought process in your next match. Yeah, we focus a lot on like, you know, pick orders, um, signals in draft. We don't get to often focus on in-game decision making, mostly because it's really tough with a uh, an audio medium to, to get all that information into your, your head by just thinking about it with us describing the board states. So we'll have links to all the uh, imager pages for the screenshots that we have um, so you can follow along at home. But hopefully our descriptions will also help you track what's going on as well. Yeah, so I'm going to go ahead and take it away here with our first scenario. This is what's the play number one, uh, and all the screenshots that go with this will be labeled like 1A, 1B, 1C, 1D on the podcast show notes. So this is about looking at the board state multiple turns in advance to try to decide what's best for you in any given situation. Like, Do you want to attack? Do you want to block? Do you want to start a race? If I attack here, what's the board going to look like multiple turns down the line? Um, so this this sort of sets up a chain reaction based on whether you decide to attack or block here. And it's hard, it's hard to see what the correct decision is. So this is game two uh, versus a green-white dinos deck. You're on a black-white good stuff deck with five Legion Conquistadors. That's two and a white for the 2-2 vampire that can search up other copies of Legion Conquistador. Uh, the removal in your deck, you have a moment of craving, one and a black for a neg two, neg two. Uh, and you gain two life. You have a Legion's Judgment, two and a white, destroy target creature with power four or greater, and an impale. 
two black black destroy target creature and from your opponent in game one you have seen no removal or combat tricks out of your opponent so here's the scene your opponent is at 19 life you are at 19 life it's your turn turn three your board looks like the following you have a skittering heart stopper single black for the one two instant that you can pay a black to give it death touch until the end of turn you have a legion lieutenant white black for the two two vampire lord that gives your other vampires plus one plus one you've hit your land drops you've got a swamp and a plains in play and you're about to hit your third land drop for the turn your opponent has they were on the play they've got three lands in play two plains and a forest they've played a skyblade of the legion on turn two one and a white for the one three flyer and a territorial hammer skull two and a white for the two three dinosaur that when it attacks tap target creature and opponent controls so you play your third land for the turn you have the following cards in your hand moment of craving one and a black for the neg two neg two you gain two life at instant speed impale two black black destroy target creature pride of conquerors one and a white for the instant creatures you control get plus one plus one until end of turn if you've got the city's blessing creatures you control get plus two plus two until end of turn instead legion's judgment two and a white for the sorcery destroy target creature with power four or greater and vampire revenant three and a black for the three one vampire spirit with flying so you have no you don't know if you're going to hit your your fourth land drop on time or not and you're staring down that territorial hammer skull and you're thinking do i want to attack here or do i want to stay back and try to block what do you think the play is ethan this is so tough because the first time i looked at this which was like an hour ago i was like I didn't feel good because you are not guaranteed to hit your fourth land. And if you don't, you're going to fall behind, I think, pretty quickly. Yes. So with that in mind, I was thinking about, I don't think I have the resources to leverage a race here. So I had the instinct of deciding to not attack. And then on their turn, they're going to attack and tap down your heart stopper with their hammer skull. And then I would block the lieutenant to the hammer skull and use moment of craving to minus two, minus two it, and hope that that trick allows me to kill the hammer skull. Now they're in white green, so they have like a whole swath of combat tricks they could have at their disposal. Um, but I just feel like I, if I miss my, if I decide to race and then I miss my fourth land drop, I don't think I can do it. So I guess maybe the argument is start the race now and then next turn, if you miss your land drop, go for the moment of craving play. Maybe that's, that's the best line. Yeah. So there's several things like, and you do know you've got your second swamp for impale. So if you hit your third, right. if you hit your fourth land drop, you can just impale that hammer skull. And then all of a sudden you've got the option to slow down the race. And you do have a free attack because you've got moment of craving and pride of conquerors in hand. So if the opponent blocks with the hammer skull, which they probably won't, right. You get to kill the hammer skull, which is great for you. So initially it looked like a free attack to me, but I wasn't really thinking down the road, like if I attacked and started this race, what was going to happen to me? So I did attack here without thinking. And as soon as I attacked, I was thinking, uh, maybe I should have stayed back and gone for that moment of craving line. But the the problem with that is it's risky, right? Yeah. So like your opponent could have any trick, crash the vampire, vampire zeal, the plus one plus one still gets you. Uh, what's that? Aggressive urge, one in a green for the plus one plus one draw card. Yeah. Moment of triumph gets you like... The plus one plus one untap all creatures, the card you have in your hand, Pride of Conquerors, like every, just so many cards that can blow you out. So it's super high risk, super high reward if you don't attack. I actually ended up settling on attacking and starting a race here. Um, So I hit my opponent down to 16. So that's going to have like some chain reactions. So fast forward to the next turn. So on turn four, your opponent still has that Skyblade of the Legion and Territorial Hammer Skull. They hit their fourth land drop and they cast Knight of the Stampede. 
which is three and a green for the two four that makes your dinosaur spells cost two less to cast. That's a very, very scary card to see on the battlefield out of your opponent who's playing green, white dinosaurs. And your opponent's now at 16 life uh, because you hit them down. They attacked you with their territorial hammer skull and sky blade on their turn four, hit you down to 16. So you now untap on your turn four. You've still got your skittering heart stopper and your legion lieutenant and got your three land drops. Your draw for the turn, evolving wild. A tap Bummer. Land. That's so brutal. Yeah, pretty brutal. So you're not hitting your fourth land drop on time, but you do know you're hitting it the following turn to be able to cast Impale. So what do you think the play is here? You already, you already oh, attacked. Man. You already started this race. You're in it thick. Well, now you're not trading three for three this turn. Right now you're trading three damage. Like if you attack with Heartstopper and Lieutenant into their Knight of the Stampede, which they probably won't block again, then you're dealing them three damage and they're cracking you back. For five damage, it feels bad to race here. Like, I know you can get blown out if you go for the moment of craving line, but like, I, I just don't, I don't see how attacking here helps us win, you know? Yeah, I, I agree completely. However, I had already, I was doubling down on my mistake here, sort of. So I was, I was <laughs> thinking like, well, I already started this race. Like I, holding back now just feels even worse. I get blown out even more by a combat trick. So I decided, well, I'm just going to jam. So I attacked the Legion Lieutenant and the Skittering Heartstopper in hit my opponent for three, play my Evolving Wilds tapped, and have, like, literal no plays. So I do not use my mana this turn, which feels, like, pretty bad. Can't use my moment on anything. Can't leverage Pride of Conquerors. I was pretty much just praying my opponent blocked, and of course they didn't. So I think I made the wrong play here again. So fast forward through the next turn. So on your opponent's turn, they, of course, cracked back at you for five. You did nothing. Mm -hmm. So you're now at 11. They also played a Shining Aerosaur on their turn, four and white for the three, four dinosaur with flying. And they've got a single white mana untapped uh, because they had that Knight of the Stampede. They missed their land drop. So they've got three cards of gasoline in hand. Mm -hmm. All right, your turn. This is turn five. You had cracked your Evolving Wilds. You fetched up a land. So you've got two swamps, two planes in play. You've still got that Skittering Heartstopper and you've still got that Legion Lieutenant. Your draw for the turn imperial aerosaur so as a reminder the cards in your hand are moment of craving impale pride of conquerors legion's judgment vampire revenant and imperial aerosaur three and a white for the three three dinosaur with flying and when it enters the battlefield you can jump another creature into the air and give it plus one plus one and flying until end of turn so what are our options we can either play one of our two four drop flyers or we can play moment and pride of conquerors so what does that do if you don't attack they crack back with everything tap heartstopper and you can do your little moment play, but you're still going to take four. And you have pride as like backup in case they can blow you out. I don't love that. But then what's our other option of playing a creature here? Maybe we just play because Imperial Aerosaur is more valuable than the Revenant. And we're looking to try and kill that Hammer Skull. Maybe you play Revenant here and hope that they tap Revenant and then you double block Hammer Skull. Is that is that the play? My my line, so I was feeling pretty bad about the fact at this point that I hadn't left stuff back and that I'd started this race. So I was looking for a way to try to win the race at this point. So your opponent's at 13, you're at 11. So I had decided that I was going to attack with Legion Lieutenant and Skittering Heartstopper and hit, hit my opponent down to 10 if they didn't block with the Aerosaur. If they blocked with the Aerosaur, great. I was going to get them with Moment of Craving and be in a lot better shape as far as winning the race was concerned. But I assumed mm -hmm. they weren't blocking. And that put them down to 10. And if I played Vampire Revenant as a 4-2 flyer because of the Legion Lieutenant, oh, that yeah. was a 4-2 flyer. The Legion Lieutenant was a 2-2. Two -two. Skittering Heartstopper is a 1-2. That gives me 7 power plus the pump from Moment if my opponent played Stone Nothing on their turn, which is probably pretty unlikely. 
uh, that maybe I could have gone for the W that way. You mean the pump from Pride of Conquerors? Oh, whoops. Yeah, Pride of Conquerors. So I guess plus one, plus one to the team, and that would have been Xaxes at 10. But I had gotten myself into a pretty big mess here, and I just kept jamming down the chain. So story ends up, the opponent untapped. They did, in fact, have crashed the ramparts to kill me for lethal. So it's possible had we gone for the moment of craving play that was risky, if they'd had crash and rampart, crash the ramparts in hand at the time, we would have gotten blown out. But there's no way to know when they drew crash the ramparts. But I do think that ultimately starting this race was a bad idea. I think the very first turn that I had the option to hang back with my two creatures and go for a moment of craving on the hammer skull, I was supposed to do it. I, I think it was the second turn. Okay. I think it was once you were... I think trading three for three is fine. Because if you hit your land drops, I think you can be okay there. I think it was once you hit the tapped land and that they had five power versus your three power. I think that's the turn that it was like, all right, I can't, I'm not going to win this race. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Sweet. All right. So here's my what's the play. This is what's the play number two. So this is game three. You are blue, white skies, splashing profane procession because that's what you do. (laughs) Naturally. (laughs) Versus red, white dino aggro. Uh, It's turn four. And your opponent was on the play. Their board state is the following. Four lands, two mountains, two plains. They have a relentless raptor, red-white, for the 3-3 dinosaur with vigilance that must attack or block each combat if able. Frilled deathsbedder, two and a red for the 3-2 dino with enraged deal two to an opponent. Your board is the following. You have two islands, a plains, and a treasure, and a sailor of means, of course, because you're Lord Tupperware. And your hand is the following cards. Two planes a shipwreck looter, one and a blue for the 2-1 human pirate with raid. Uh, if you attacked with a creature, you may draw a card and discard a card when it enters the battlefield. Stormfleet aerialist, one and a blue for the 1-2 human pirate with flying and raid. Put a plus one plus one counter on it. Wind strider, four and a blue for the 3-3 merfolk wizard with flash and flying. And a territorial hammer skull, two and a white for the 2-3 dino uh, that when it attacks, you tap target creature and opponent controls. The life totals are... Your opponent is at 20, and you're at 15. Your opponent has two cards left in their hand. So you're going to hit your fourth land drop for the turn, so you'll have four lands plus a treasure in play plus a sailor. Facing down the 3-3 and the 3-2 of your opponent, what's the play? Yeah, there's so you want, really want to try to use all of your mana, I think. You're probably cracking that treasure this turn. So mm-hmm. you've got options. I think the, the first thing you have to decide is whether or not you're you're the aggressor. And I think looking at this board state... Staring down a 3-3 and a 3-2, you're not the aggressor. So then once you make that decision, I mean, and it it feels kind of bad because you've got all these flyers, you've got this hammer skull that you can tap your opponent's stuff down, but you just like are behind. You were on the draw this game, your opponent had a good start. So you could play Windstrider on your opponent's turn and try to block the Relentless Raptor with the Sailor maybe and trade Windstrider off with the Frilled Despiter. That doesn't seem great to me. Your other option is to play something like Stormfleet Aerialist and Hammer Skull or Shipwreck Looter plus Hammer Skull. And I think mm-hmm. that looks slightly better to me. So if you play the Shipwreck Looter and the Territorial Hammer Skull, you're going to have three creatures facing down your opponent's board of two creatures. Shipwreck Looter lines up very well against Frilled Despiter. That's 3-2 from your opponent. You're trading a 2-1 for that. And then if you double block the Relentless Raptor with Sailor of Means and Hammer Skull, you can kill it or... Your option would be just to regular block the Relentless Raptor with the Sailor Means because you've kind of got that blanked. And then if your opponent has a combat trick, you're maybe not getting two for one uh, on the Sailor and Hammer Skull play. Uh, you're maybe just losing a Sailor Means. But I think I would go for playing Territorial Hammer Skull and Shipwreck Leader and looking to block 
the shipwreck looter on the frill despiter and i think i would just single block the sailor means on the relentless raptor uh, maybe you're just supposed to double block because of any combat trick well sure strike no sure strike doesn't even get you so your opponent would have to have two combat tricks to really two for one you there right so i think you probably do go for that double block with territorial hammer skull and sailor means and if it works and your opponent doesn't have a combat trick you're in great shape and even if they do have a combat trick you've probably bought yourself enough time to play windstrider and stormfleet aerialist and leverage those cards as well yeah i agree completely with your thought process i did end up going for the double block i don't remember what my uh, opponent had but yeah i think the, the the fact that like hammer skull plus sailor of means so that's seven toughness versus the relentless raptor in red white it's hard to think about what get, blows you out there other than like divine verdict killing the sailor of means you know Ooh, that would be bad yeah that would be bad but i think sort of worth going for because then you could still win strider trade it off with the relentless raptor the next turn but yeah, there is, I think, a mentality you get in with these kinds of decks or with any kind of deck you can decide, like, this is a control deck, this is an aggro deck. And then when that mentality of the deck doesn't sort of match up with what's happening in the game, you really need to course correct. And the quicker you do that can be the difference between winning or losing the game. So deciding here that you're going to use your creature's like Territorial Hammer Skull, which is super aggressive. We saw it do tons of work in our last board state that we were looking at with you. But using it as just a 3-mana 2-3 blocker here, you know, we're, we're on the back foot. So I think doing double spelling and trying to line up some good blocks to just clear the board and make the game go long because you have more resources than your opponent, right? Currently, we have five cards in hand after we make our land drop to our opponent's two. So if we can just try and, like, clear this board out and win with our flyers i think that's the best way to victory that makes sense to me cool uh what do you got for us next all right this next play and is two different scenarios involving the card divine verdict this is a pretty passionate topic of mine uh playing with <laughs> and against these cards and i think there's a way to optimize playing with them and a way to optimize playing against them so divine verdict is uh three and a white for the instant speed destroy target attacking or blocking creature and the cool thing about this is once you learn this concept, I think you can carry it with you through future sets because white frequently has cards like this. Like we can think back to Hour of Devastation with Sandblast. That was two and a white, deal five damage to target attacking or blocking creature. Um, so this this type of card is probably going to keep coming up in the future with magic. So there's this argument when you think your opponent has Divine Verdict that people say all the time, well, they're going to have it. Uh, they're going to get something eventually with it. I might as well just attack into it. And I really think that argument doesn't hold water, and we'll kind of take a look at some board states here uh, to see why. So the first one we're going to take a look at is playing with Divine Verdict. So you're on a jank four-color deck, uh, because that's what we do here with Lords of Limited. Uh, <laughs> it's four-color, four not red. Classic Lords of Limited. Classic. And so the board state is as follows. Uh, you're at 20 life. Your opponent's at 16 life. It's your turn five. You've hit all of your land drops, so your mana base is as follows. Forest, Swamp, Swamp, Plains, Woodland Stream. Beautiful mana base. Your creatures, you have an Atsakin Seer in play, one green-white for the 2-3 human druid that can tap to add a mana of any color to your mana pool, and you can sack it to return a dinosaur from your graveyard to your hand. You also have a Dire Fleet Hoarder, one and a black for the 2-1 human pirate that when it dies, create a treasure token. Your hand is the following cards. Suncrested Pterodon, four and a white for the 2-5 flying dinosaur that has Dino Vigilance. Divine Verdict, three and a white for the instant, destroy target attacking or blocking creature. And Impale, two black black for the sorcery, destroy target creature. You're facing down a board from your opponent 
uh, who's at 16. They've got four cards in hand, five lands in play, three forests, two mountains, and they have a raging regisaur on their side of the battlefield, two green-red for the 4-4, a dinosaur, that when it attacks can ping something for one. What do you think the play is? Oh, boy. So the fact that the creature is raging regisaur makes this very interesting, and the fact that one of the creatures on your side of the board is dire fleet hoarder makes this, I think, quite interesting. So one of the things that happens here is, like, if you attack with both of your creatures, you're telegraphing something to your opponent, right? You are attacking with two smaller creatures into their bigger creature. So what does that mean you have? Well, I don't think it means you have, like, just plus two, plus two, like Vampire Zealer Moment of Triumph, because if they block your Dire Fleet Hoarder, you're still going to get two for one in that transaction, right? Yep. So I think it means you have something more than that. And Divine Verdict would be the first thing that came to my mind if I were the opponent. And I think it's important to assume that your opponent is smart, because there's no benefit to assume otherwise. So I would assume that my opponent is going to pick up on that. So attacking here sort of gives your opponent that information that you have this card, I think, or at least maybe puts up some little feelers that that might be one of the things that you're representing in this attack. So if you attack with both and they don't block, I think you're sort of forced to either pass with the Divine Verdict up, which feels bad, and we'll talk about that, why that is in just a minute, or to cast Impale to kill the creature after you've attacked. My only issue with that is that if they don't block with your attacks, which I wouldn't if I were the opponent, I think you're giving them information that you don't need to give them. Interesting. I think you're going to attack, and they're not going to block, and then you're going to impale it, and you're prob- you've given some amount of information away to them. And I think it's important to note also that just casting Suncrested Pterodon here is pretty bad because it bounces off Raging Regisaur, or they can attack with a Regisaur, ping Suncrested Pterodon for one, and then you can't block it because it would kill the Pterodon with no benefit to you. Right, or they could just attack and kill your Dire Fleet Hoarder and then... The Raging Regisaur just bounces off the Pterodon and you're down a Dire Fleet Hoarder. Right. So back to why Dire Fleet Hoarder being a 2-1 is relevant in this board state. So all that said and done, I think I might just like impaling pre-combat and attacking with both. That's really interesting. I I did not consider the fact that I was really giving up the information that I had Divine Verdict in my hand here. That makes impaling pre-combat a lot more interesting to me. So my line was I attacked with both creatures. Uh, If the opponent blocked, I was going to Divine Verdict. And then post-combat, I was going to impale. I think this changes you and I talked about this before recording the show. If you imagine mm-hmm. that Dire Fleet Hoarder is a 2-2, I think this changes the equation slightly because it could be tempting to attack into Raging Regisaur. And if the opponent doesn't block, you don't Divine Verdict. And then their turn, if you just pass and hold up Divine Verdict and don't impale, and you assume since you have you know, your two creatures tapped and, you know, the way looks clear that they would attack into your four mana, you get so punished if the opponent chooses not to attack into Divine Verdict because you haven't used your mana for the turn and they get to continue developing their board. So you you missed out on either playing Suncrested Pterodon or casting Impale to kill their Raging Regisaur, which you now have to do on following turns. So a card like Divine Verdict has a real cost to putting it in your deck uh, because it, it can put you into awkward situations where good opponents will play around it and force you to leave up your mana with your Divine Verdict. Yeah, for sure. So if you're in the opponent's seat here, like let's say you make that play, you attack with both, you're not going to block, right? No, never blocking with my Raging Regisaur there. And then let's say you make the play of, Mr. Metronome makes the play of passing with the four mana up, and then it gets to your turn and you're the red-green dinos player, you're just going, I'm not attacking into that. Never attacking into four open mana, 
uh, in this format when one of them's a white mana. Because the cost, if your opponent has Divine Verdict, is pretty big. And if that's what they have, you set them back so far by not attacking into it, and you get to continue developing your board. It's just great for you. Now, is there any consideration to the fact that, like, they get to then... So you let's say you play a Colossal Dreadmaw, mm-hmm. and then it gets back to Mr. Metronome's turn, and he can now make an attack again, right? Because if you block with something... You can just divine verdict it, or would you like set up a double block? Yeah, you could set up a you could set up a double block, or you could take it and continue developing your board. It's only four. I mean, you're so in this attack, your opponent's at sixteen on the turn we're talking about right now, mm-hmm. and then you would attack with four with the, the the screenshot we have, and your opponent would be at twelve. Like you know, their their life total is getting precarious. Yeah, that's fair. I just think there there is there's a point at which you can't just keep going like I'm not going to play into this because. I mean, you're right. We're not developing our board. We are just continuing to keep up four mana on both sides of the turn, which yeah. is a real cost. That's a real cost, I think, to the to the player with Divine Verdict. So let's fast forward to another situation where you're the, you're the player staring down the Divine Verdict. Uh, so this is a different board state. All right. You're still on this same jank four-color <laughs> non-red deck. <laughs> what a beaut. Yeah, it's, it's a beaut. Oh, this is the one I drafted with you. This is the one you drafted yeah. with me, yeah. So the board state is as follows. Life total is your opponent's at 19. You're at 20. This is turn 7. You're considerably far ahead here. Your board, you have a Dust Charger, 3 and a black for the 3-3 three, three horse. When you have Ascend, it gets plus 2, plus 2. Suncrested Pterodon, 4 and a white for the 2-5 flyer with Dino Vigilance. Jade Light Ranger, 1 green green for the 2-1 Merfolk Shaman that double explores. Um, and in this case, we hit two uh, non-lands, so it's a 4-3. So 4-3 Jade Light Ranger and Dire Fleet Hoarder, one in a black for the 2-1 Human Pirate. So you've got four creatures on the battlefield, five lands untapped. Your hand is Jungle Creeper, one black green for the 3-3 Elemental that can pay three black green to return it from your graveyard to your hand. Suncrested Pterodon, another copy in your hand. And Dire Fleet Poisoner, one in a black for the 2-2 Human Pirate with Flash and Death Touch. When it enters the battlefield, target attacking pirate you control gets plus one, plus one, and gains death touch until end of turn. Your opponent has passed the turn. Their board is just a measly sanguine glorifier, three and a white for a three, three vampire, and they have five lands open, a white and four swamps, and five cards in hand. So what's the play here? So, you know, Divine Verdict is a card in the format, and Bright Reprisal is a card in the format. That's four and a white for the instant destroy target attacking creature draw card. Um, it's an uncommon out of one pack, so it's not going to come up that much, but it's still something to consider. Your opponent has five lands in play, untapped, and five cards in their hand. What is the likelihood that they have no play to make this turn? It's almost zero. Almost zero. Like, they got something. They're not choked on, like, double white in all of their cards or something, you know? So I, th- I feel like we can pretty much read them for either Divine Verdict or Bright Reprisal in, in this situation. Or maybe, like... A Reaver Ambush or a Vanquish the Week on your Suncrested yeah. Teradon. Something like that. Yeah, for sure. So the question is, like, how do you want to play around the destroy target attacking creature trick? And we were discussing this before the show because we were just looking over all the, the screenshots going over the show notes. And you're very hard on, like, I'm just good at, like, I don't need to attack in, into this. I'm going to continue to develop my board and punish my opponent for holding up four mana and not give them something to do. And my counter argument to that was, like, well, if I get to choose that my opponent trades their removal spell for, like, my little dinky Dire Fleet Hoarder, that feels pretty good to me. And I think with the Poisoner in hand, it's sort of interesting to go, like, all right, I'll attack with just my Dire Fleet Hoarder, and then they can block with Sanguine Glorifier. I can play Poisoner, give the Hoarder plus one, plus one, and Death Touch. 
And that's either going to trade Hoarder for the Glorifier, which is good, or they can cast Divine Verdict and they use Divine Verdict on my 2-1. Great. I don't care about that either. So my, my counterpoint to that would be, so you're letting, if Divine Verdict or Bright Reprisal is what your opponent has in hand, you're letting them use their mana this turn. Whereas by not attacking, you get to continue developing your board and your opponent wasted their entire turn. And then in future turns, they're faced with that same decision. Well, do I want to hold up four mana again to try to divine verdict this person when they attack? And if they don't attack again, what am I going to do? So they've got five cards in hand. If you can force them every turn to not use four of their lands, that's really constricting their ability to develop the board. And I think it's just ultimately you're going to get so far ahead that either they're never going to be able to cast divine verdict and eventually they're going to be able to force to start playing out stuff or like it's going to come down to the last card in their hand and you're going to have gained so much tempo and mana advantage by them trying to hold up four lands for a couple turns in a row that you just can run away with the game. So I agree with you. You convinced me with this in your argument pre-show. The fact that you were like, yeah, but then they have to like every turn decide what they're going to do. And so it usually ends up that Divine Verdict's like the last card in their hand because they're like, oh crap, I just got time blocked. I got to develop my board the next turn. But here's my one counter argument to you is what if they just have Vanquish the Week here? Then then it's a, a significant, you're making a significantly less optimal line. Yeah. If they have Vanquish the Week on your Suncrested Pterodon, you're a little sad about that, but you don't miss out on much. Like you're still super far ahead here. And I think the benefit you gain if they do have Divine Verdict or Bright Reprisal is huge. So I think the up, for me, the upside makes it a no, not a no brainer, but like makes it a more favorable play for you. You're not, you're not losing to Vanquish the Weaker. No, for sure. I just think, I think I would be quite tempted to do the, the Hoarder Dire Fleet Poisoner play, like the attack with the Hoarder and then give it plus and plus one and death touch if they block. But I, you're, you're, I mean, it's a sound argument. You basically time walk them. You stone rain them for four or however you want to think about it. Like, they don't get to use their mana. And I think it's also important to note that it's turn seven and they only have five lands in play. So like they're probably done. Like it's probably all gas in hand because they've missed land drops. Right. So like for them to be able to double spell and having one of those be divine verdict, it's going to be a lot of land draws in a row before that can happen. Right. And if it's not divine verdict, great. You sacrificed one turn of attacks for like for huge benefit. Uh, yeah. if, if it did happen to be Divine Verdict. So, and it's interesting that they're on black-white here and they could have other types of instant speed interaction. And I think there probably is a sliding scale. Like, you know, you're talking about trying to throw your cheapest threat into it. I think there is probably a sliding scale for like when you can attack into it. And it has to do with how far ahead you are or how far ahead your opponent is. Like you, and you have way more options when you're far ahead. So I think the farther ahead you are, the more you're supposed to play around it. Yeah, that makes sense to me. There's just something so, I don't know, I don't know why I have this idea in my head of like, well, if I get to decide how they use that card, it's great for me. But you're saying I get to decide that they don't get to use that card right. at all. Yes, yes, that's my point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, Which makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Really, really interesting. Yeah, I think that's right. So for my What's the Play, uh, it's a lot less exciting, I think, but uh, still pretty interesting. So you're, uh, you're on a spicy four-color brew because... That's what we do here. Um, <laughs> base blue-green splashing for Angrath. That's the red-black planeswalker. Your opponent seems to be on white-black vamps. The life totals are both 18. The board states are as follows. Your opponent has two planes and a swamp, a duskborn sky marcher, single white for the 1-1 vampire with flying, and you can pay a white and tap it to give target attacking vampire plus one, plus one until end of turn. And they have a vampire lord, white-black. 2-2 Vampire, Legion Lieutenant, other vampires you control get plus one, plus one. Your board is the following. 
a cherished hatchling, one in a green for the dinosaur. When it dies, you can play dinos uh, as if they had flash, and then when they enter the battlefield, they can fight target creature and opponent controls. Uh, you've got a jungle-born pioneer, two in a green for the 2-2 merfolk, uh, and its buddy, the 1-1 merfolk token with hexproof. You have an island, a mountain, and a woodland stream in play, and they are all tapped as you just cast that jungle-born pioneer. Your hand is three lands, a hunt the weak, three in a green, sorcery, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control, and it fights target creature you don't control, and a windstrider, the four in a blue for the merfolk, three three with flash and flying. So this turn is quite interesting. It's turn four, your opponent goes to attacks, they haven't played their land yet, and they attack, you're, you're tapped out, right? You're tapped out, you've got jungleborn pioneer and the merfolk token untapped. Your opponent attacks only with the duskborn skymarcher. They attack with their now 2-2, because it's buffed from the Vampire Lord, their 2-2 flyer, and they choose not to attack with Legion Lieutenant. So they're not attacking Legion Lieutenant into your 2-2 and your 1-1 while you're tapped out. What information does this give you? I think this tells you that they don't have a combat trick here, right? They can't have a Moment of Triumph or, uh, is it Vampire Zeal? Is that the plus 2, plus 2 in First Strike? Mm-hmm. Um, so those two combat tricks, the two white plus 2, plus 2 effects... They can't have Skullduggery because Skullduggery blows you out too. It makes their Legion Lieutenant a 3-3 and your Jungleborn Pioneer a 1-1. So I think all of those cheap white and black combat tricks you can rule out that they don't have in their hand here. I think that's information you can glean by them not attacking with a Legion Lieutenant. The other option is they could have a turn four play that they want to make sure they can cast this turn, right? So they could not want to have to spend one mana on their fourth turn to save their Lieutenant for like the the one-for-one one with your Jungleborn Pioneer and your token, and they just want to play whatever, not Sanguine Glorifier because they would have played that pre-combat, but some other four-drop worth playing so they don't want to get choked on mana in that way. Yeah, that's fair. I think that that's something, something else you could read, mm-hmm. read into. Yep, yep, yep. But I, I did make that, that assumption that, all right, so I feel like they definitely don't have a combat trick here. They played a Plains and then passed the turn. So they now have four mana open. They've got sweet, sweet Divine Verdict mana open. Yeah, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. Yeah. So now it gets to your turn. And you have Hunt the Week in play, and you, in hand, and you have your fourth land drop. So you have the option to try and kill Legion Lieutenant. You've got Jungleborn Pioneer as a 2-2 in play. So if you Hunt the Week with Pioneer to Legion Lieutenant, you get to kill it because your Pioneer will be a 3-3. Or you have your Hexproof Token, which you could trade with, or your Cherished Hatchling, which you could trade with. So what, what do you think about here? Like, we definitely want to get this Legion Lieutenant off the board, right? Yeah, definitely want to get Legion Lieutenant off the board this turn. That card's insanely good in Vampire's decks. So the most obvious face-up play is to hunt the weak on your Jungleborn Pioneer and kill their Legion Lieutenant. So turn your Jungleborn Pioneer into a 3-3 and their Legion Lieutenant's a 2-2. So you eat it, you get a 3-3 Jungleborn Pioneer to attack or not attack as you so choose into maybe that Divine Verdict that your opponent might have. Mm -hmm. I think there's a couple other cards that are really important to remember in this situation as well. So there are two cards specifically that blow you out. Uh, Vanquish the Weak from the Ixalan pack, two and a black, destroy target creature with power three or less. And also Reaver Ambush, two and a black, exile target creature uh, with power three or less at instant speed. So I think with those two cards in mind, I don't think in good conscience that you can hunt the weak on your Jungleborn Pioneer here. I think you have to hunt the weak on your Hexproof Merfolk token, suck it up and throw away half of a card to make sure you get that Legion Lieutenant off the battlefield. Although, like, either way, you do get blown out by that. But I think you probably can say they don't have those combat tricks based on them not attacking with the Legion Lieutenant and then not playing a four drop, right? Because if they, if the, with that logic, they would have played the four drop on their turn. Right. So I think you can rule out, I just feel like whatever they have, they should have used it 
or like they could have leveraged an attack, right? Yes. Because even if it's Vanquish the Weak or River Ambush, wouldn't you have attacked? Mm, yeah. Right? Like, I guess you don't really get value out of it if it's River Ambush or Vanquish the Weak. Because like you attack with Legion Lieutenant, I block with Jungleborn Pioneer and not the Merfolk token. Right. And then you have to use Vanquish. So I guess it does make sense. They wouldn't have used that. All signs point to that. I think it's really important to like, because sometimes we would be like, well, I don't want to play Hunt the Week into four open mana and white black. But they've already sort of given us information about not having a combat trick. Yes. So Hunt the Week here feels a little bit more doable into open mana, except when we think about Vanquish and uh, Reaver Ambush. So I totally agree that the play is Hunt the Week, the Merfolk token, and the Lieutenant, which feels super weird into all that open mana. But I think with all that information gleaned from their previous attack uh, is the right play. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah, so if I was a smart player, that's what I would have done. But I was, like, so proud of myself for reading that they didn't have a combat trick. I was like, great, what could I possibly get blown out by? Hunt the Weak, Jungleborn Pioneer, Legion Lieutenant. As it's on the stack, I go, oh, no, there's Reaver Ambush and Vanquish the Weak. I just, like, wasn't thinking about them. And, of course, that is what they had. They had a Reaver Ambush. And I did get two for one here. And I just, like, absolutely should have. I was even talking about it. I was like, why don't I just do it on the Merfolk token? This is great. Um, but I just couldn't. So like caught couldn't up. Couldn't pass up the value. Couldn't pass up the value. And I was like patting myself on the back. Oh, I like read this thing and they pass with mana, blah, blah, blah. Um, you also made an interesting point of like, why don't you attack with both two power creatures first and see if they have divine verdict? Yeah, if you're if you're worried about maybe Reaver Ambush, that's a way to rule out the possibility of Reaver Ambush and Vanquish the Week. Like you right. could attack with Cherished Hatchling and Jungleborn Pioneer into Divine Verdict, and you're fine probably if they Divine Verdict one of your two creatures. Although we just said you're never going to attack into that. But the this the Hunt the Week, the fact that you want to use Hunt the Week here changes the equation. Like you, that you're worried about getting blown out. So then if they do have the Divine Verdict, you force them to tap their mana, and then you know the way is clear for Hunt the Week on the Legion Lieutenant. Yeah. Just seems like pretty weak sauce targets for Divine Verdict on like Jungleborn Pioneer or Cherished Hatchling, but it's got to be something else from the opponent here, right? With with a, a group full of cards and passing with four mana. I, don't I know. would think so, yeah. 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 So super interesting. I think like using all of the, the information from the previous attack for how you want to set up this Hunt the Week. All right. Last one here. And this involves the namesake of the episode. This is, uh, this got Hwatli in it. So this is our what's the play number five. And this is sort of involving like a decision making process for how you're going to be able to best stop your opponent's plan when you do know it, because sometimes you know your opponent's plan based on what they flipped uh, off an explorer, which is the case here. And this is a pretty complicated board state. So uh, this is game three versus red green dinos. You're on a green white dinos deck. And out of your opponent, you've seen several relevant cards in games one and two. You've seen a Bombard, two and a red, instant speed, deal four damage to target creature. You've seen Hunt the Week out of them, three and a green, plus one, plus one. Uh, and then the creatures fight. And you've also seen Double Swift Warden, the one green green for the three, three flash merfolk uh, that gives target merfolk hexproof. And they also have a Needletooth Raptor in their deck that totally crushed you in game two. Uh, so that's three, <laughs> three and a red for the two, two that when it's dealt damage deals five damage to target creature and opponent controls. So here's the scene. You're... Opponent is at 18 life. You're at 18 life. It's turn five. Your turn five. On your opponent's turn, they just cast a Vine Shaper Mystic. So their board is as follows. They have a Hardy Veteran, the one in a green for the 2-2, two -two, and when it's your turn, it gets plus O plus 2. They have a Tashana's Wayfinder with two in a green for the 2-2, two -two, and when it enters the battlefield, it explores. It has two plus one plus one counters on it, uh, one from hitting the Explore trigger and one from the Vine Shaper Mystic that your opponent just played. 
and the vine shaper mystic that your opponent just cast is a two four so it put a counter on the wayfinder and a counter on itself the opponent has one red mana up and they have four cards in hand and you also know that they have drawn that turn a strength of the pack based on their tashana wayfinders explore the turn prior so you're staring down a strength of the pack they have four lands in play have not missed a land drop yet it's your turn five here's what your board looks like you've got a martyr of dusk one in a white for the two one vampire uh, that when it dies you create a one one vampire with lifelink a legion conquistador two in a white for the two two vamp that searches up other copies of itself jungleborn pioneer two in a green for the two two merfolk that when it enters the battlefield brings along a one one hexproofer with it and you've got that hexproofer on the battlefield as well five untapped lands and your hand is as follows Siegehorn Ceratops, green-white for the 2-2 Dinosaur with the Enrage trigger of whenever it's dealt damage, put two plus one plus one counters on it. Two Legion Conquistadors in hand that you've searched up. You only have three in your deck, so you've got all your Legion Conquistadors in hand. Thundering Spineback, 5-GG for the 5-5 Dinosaur Lord that gives dinosaurs plus one plus one, and you can pay five and a green to make a 3-3 Dinosaur Creature Token with Trample. And you have... The Diva herself, Hwatli, Radiant Champion, two green-white <laughs> for the 3-3, three, three, uh, not 3-3, three, three, the three loyalty Planeswalker, plus one, put a loyalty counter on her for each creature you control, minus one, target creature gets plus X plus X until end of turn, where X is the number of creatures you control, and her minus eight, you get an emblem with whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, draw a card. What do you what do you want to do here, Ethan? Oh, man. This is a really complicated board, and you're facing down a potential strength of the pack in two turns. Right, so we know they have strength of the pack. We're in board stall the format right here with them having a 2-2, two, two, a 4-4, four, four, and a 2-4, and you've got a bunch of bears and a 1-1. One, one. I think the thing we want to do is reduce, right, with knowing that they have strength of the pack in hand, we want to reduce their board state so that strength of the pack gets worse. Because the fewer creatures they have, the worse strength of the pack gets. So how do we do that this turn? Well, we have no attacks currently, right? So we can't remove any creatures. We have no removal, so we can't remove any creatures. But if we play play Hwatli and minus her, we can give one of our creatures plus four, plus four until end of turn, right? Yes. And that will either force them to make a block and like double block and trade off one of our creatures for like their four, four, or forces them to take six, which puts them to 12. So that's the other way we can make strength of the pack bad is by, you know, killing them before they cast it or putting their life total so low that even once they cast it, they can't make a good attack. So while I think like developing your board, playing a Conquistador, playing a Ceratops here, it's fine. It doesn't actually like do anything towards that end goal of like punishing them for having strength of the pack in their deck and knowing that we have it. So I would be on casting Hwatli and minusing her on, I think, Martyr of Dusk so that that would even still give me a creature if they decided to double block. Um, So then I would attack with Martyr of Dusk as a 6-5 and be fine to deal them 6 or trade off with something. I think also getting the Planeswalker down this turn is nice because that puts a threat on the board that they have to deal with. So then do they have to then make some awkward attacks into you, which you can then double block? And we're back to trying to remove creatures from their board in that way. So I think I like playing the Planeswalker here. So if you Hwatli minus and you attack with Martyr of Dusk, what's to prevent your opponent from taking the damage and then cracking back at you with Hardy Veteran, Tashana's Wayfinder, Vine Shaper Mystic into your board of 2-2-2-2-1-1? Then you don't have good blocks... So if you double block one thing, Hwatli still dies. Like you could double block the Wayfinder, chump with a Merfolk token, and then they get to eat Hwatli. That doesn't seem like a great result for you. That is bad. I didn't think of that. So then what if you Hwatli plus? I think that's the play. So if you if you Hwatli plus, she goes up to eight loyalty mm-hmm. and you know attacks. So then the opponent can attack you with their 2-2, their 4-4, their 2-4, because you know they can't cast Strength of the Pack next turn. So you're trying to panic force them into some attacks. 
If they do that, you get a double block, the hardy veteran of the Vine Shaper Mystic, and trade one for one. And then maybe you can chump the 4-4 with your Merfolk token and let Hwatley take two. So the plusing from Hwatley can outpace the damage that your opponent can do to her and hopefully forces some attacks. And if they don't attack, great. Like you're threatening to ultimate and draw some cards. But the awkward there's this awkward tension, right, that Hwatley can't protect herself, but yet she's a really powerful planeswalker if, if the board is clogged up. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think Hwatley plus is the answer to the equation there because it opens up the most options for you in future turns, incentivizes your opponent to attack and trade creatures off before they cast Strength of the Pack, um, and maybe buys you time to draw your second plane so that you can start double spelling with some of your creatures. Man, planeswalkers make these decisions so much more difficult because it's not only like, should I cast this thing? It's like, once I cast it, what do I do with it? Right. And especially one that can't protect herself like Wally. Yeah. All right. Well, hopefully that was possible for you all to follow along with. We've got the imager links there for you again to, to, to reference. Um, but I think these kinds of episodes are really important because there's a lot of content out there about pick orders and not a lot of content about like limited in-game decisions. Yeah. And I think like limited is awesome because most in-game decision you make is going to be unique. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like not like I've seen this in the meta before this matchup. It's like, no, you haven't. These decks are new. Really, really cool in that respect. So uh, if you're having trouble following along on the audio version, strongly take uh, encourage you to take a look at those imager links, uh, maybe while you listen to the show. Uh, and hopefully you learn something from analyzing these imager links. We had an exciting thing happen this week for the podcast. The 15th and final achievement for the Rivals of Ixalan Treasure Hunt was unlocked. Generation D20 was able to get Land Ho, returning eight lands with World Shaper from his graveyard, basically off of the back of Rummaging Goblin. So we will have to get that 15-hour stream on lock pretty soon then. Yeah, date's going to be TBA once we figure out you're in my schedule closer to the end of RAX. Yeah. Do we want to do it for this format, do we think? Or Cube? Maybe we should leave it up to the patrons to decide what we do. Yeah, we can let the patrons see what they want to see. Yeah, for sure. Um, So, but you can still uh, unlock those achievements. Go to either of our streams, exclamation mark treasure hunt is how you can get that achievement list. It's also on Twitter. And if you unlock five of the achievements, you are eligible for a giveaway for a Rivals of Ixalan draft set. So three packs and two tickets online. Send us those screenshots either on Twitter or at our email address. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give that a listen. If you want to get in touch with us, I am at Lord Tupperware. Ben is at Mr. Metronome on Twitter. We also have a Twitter account for the podcast, at Lords of Limited. And if you want to check us out on Twitch, we are streaming a lot these days. Twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware for me and Twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome for Ben. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.
The biggest international festival for the business of podcasting is back. The Podcast Show London will bring together thousands of podcast creators under one roof on the 22nd and 23rd of May. Also featuring major industry players, global brands and some of the most iconic voices in podcasting. Plus, creator meetups, networking and an evening festival of unmissable live shows. Passes from £89. Book yours now at thepodcastshowlondon.com. Podcast Show London.